you know, things come and go and things get worse and things get better. And God is sovereign at all times. There's a lot of great teachers that have always reminded us that no matter how bad things look, God's still on the throne, right? To a degree, the Christian has to be able to be patient with the swoops and sways of history, so to speak, knowing that sometimes God lets all kinds of disturbances happen in the world for the gospel to go forth in new and unforeseen ways. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler here on the Bot Radio Network. Our pleasure today to welcome all the way from South Haven, Mississippi, Pastor Christopher Nicewanger. Pastor Chris is with Grace View Presbyterian Church in South Haven. Chris, it is a pleasure, my friend, to have you here. Thank you so much, Byron. It's good to be here. And two of your children came with you today. They're two of the four, I believe. Two of the six. Two, wait a minute. I'm sorry I took some of your children away. <laughs> Tell me about all six of your children. Well, my wife and I got married relatively late. She was 30 and I was 36. And I had been involved in youth ministry, but I was never ready for exactly what God gave us. You know, your life changes so much. We've got six kids, 17 all the way down to a six-year-old. Oh we had one of those little late surprise babies that is just a joy, and they're just lovely and wonderful, and our house is noisy all the time. <laughs> Denny, your wife, homeschools the she children. Does. I guess maybe you got married in life because you were academically engaged in uh, getting your studies done. You have worked toward theology in Trinity Law School, Trinity Graduate School, Fuller Theological Seminary. Denny graduated from Seattle Pacific University with a bachelor's degree in political science, and then from Trinity Law with a Juris Doctor. Sure. You guys have been quite busy academically. Yeah, well, we met in law school. She had just graduated and was hired by uh, Trinity out there. It was my first year, so she used to beat me up in classes regularly. (laughs) And uh, that's how we met. You worked for many years with the legal department, with World Vision International, working with human rights cases, child protection, crimes against women and children, and human trafficking, which is a a subject dear to my heart. I, I try to bring that topic, Chris, to our listeners Tell me your involvement there, and why did you go that direction? Well, it wasn't exactly what I planned, but I did go to law school to work on issues of persecution and issues having to do with women and children. They came to me while I was still in law school, in my last year of law school, and asked me to apply at World Vision through some professors that had uh, pointed them my way. And I went to the first couple interviews and a lot of the guys there and ladies were graduates from Harvard and Yale and these top tier law schools. And they were very impressive. I thought I will never get this job (laughs) ever. And I had to go through, I don't know how much you've worked with the World Vision and Samaritan's Purse and these, but you usually have to go through several rounds of interviews and they really want to know who you are. So I went to seven interviews for that job. And I still thought they weren't going to hire me, right? I had just graduated. I'm newly married. What they were looking for, the boss in the last interview, Tim Burgett, never forget him, graduated first in his class at a Georgetown Law, just a tremendous man of God, head attorney for the entire organization. He said to me, what we're looking for is not people that know the law. That's common. We can find lots of people that know the law. What we're looking for is people that can sit there and deal with issues of human suffering on a daily basis and feel like they're doing it to the glory of God. So then I spent about the next 10 years there, just every day we had new cases come in. If it had to do with a kid that was sponsored by World Vision, 
There was a legal and a moral duty to follow up on those things. We worked with all the uh, different legal departments in different countries around the world, making sure that those kids were okay and got a little justice. Oh, my. I sat down several years ago with Gary Hogden with International Justice Mission. Do you know Gary? Yes, I do. What a story. I mean, you know, working for the Justice Department, sent on a mission to Rwanda in the aftermath of the genocide there to build criminal cases, obviously. But that was really the birth in, in, in a time of suffering, the suffering he saw through the genocide in Rwanda that birthed International Justice Mission. Right. And I'll tell you, Chris, I think this is a subject we talk about, and we're not going to spend all our time talking about this subject now, but I think the church really needs to engage, right? It's hard because the church isn't a state and it's not a government and they don't do law enforcement, but it is interesting how much good and comfort and love and hope the church can give even in these situations that you wouldn't necessarily think of it as preaching or teaching or evangelism, but there's a lot for the church to do in the way of... And and that's the gospel though, right? That's the power of God through the gospel. When you look at the kind of brokenness that these scenarios paint, the pictures they paint, the only hope is the gospel. You know, it's interesting you brought up international justice mission. That is part of how I met my wife because they were in Albania and they were helping to write the Albanian constitution. This would have been many years ago through an interesting series of events. You know, they're all atheists in Albania at that time. It was very close to Christianity. The communist government had just fallen. Gary Hogan and some others uh, were there helping their government to get organized, helping them to write the Albanian constitution. And while they were there, they started teaching some Bible studies. And my wife was hired still, I think she was 17 or 18 years old. She knew English very well. So she was hired as an interpreter for the Albanian Supreme Court. And she would translate their daily duties, but she would also translate the Bible studies they gave on the side. And that's how she came to know the gospel and became a Christian through the work of International Justice Mission. Oh, my. What a wonderful story, Chris. You said you met in law school. We did. Was it? That was, of course, years later. (laughs) Was it love at first sight? No, no. We didn't have any romantic (laughs) uh, relationship at all. One of the first things uh, they had me do when I came to the law school was uh, teach a couple of the chapels. And as you might expect, you know, kids at law school are not the same as other kids. Fighting and arguing about every little line of everything is considered totally normal, natural. It's like going to Bible college, too. You know, kids are always debating theology. Yeah, you're always (laughs) debating stuff. So I had said a couple of things and and they rubbed her the wrong way. So, you know, from the very uh, first that we met, we were always talking about scripture and how we understand it and how best to live it out in our lives. So it was years before it grew into a romantic relationship rather than just good friendship. I didn't say this on the beginning of our program, but you are host of To God's Greater Glory, heard Sunday mornings at 8.30 here on AM640 on the Bot Radio Network, a brand new show that we're excited to welcome aboard. Oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Now, and, and radio for you, you have hosted apologetics-type programming, KKLA in Los Angeles with the Salem Network, 99.5 for about 16 years. 16 years, yeah. Was that live radio? Live radio, three to four hours a week, you know, and not as hard as you do it, but, you know, it was in California, though, so it was very interesting all you the You had some tough situations <laughs> that you probably ran across, right? Yeah, you know, the number one show out there at one time was Art Bell, 
who did this show. It was mostly, you know, aliens and interesting controversy. That show's been a national show, hasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was and saying. We were right down the dial from them. So it was interesting. <laughs> we always got this overplay. So we got a lot of alien questions and uh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you remember Biola University. Oh, yeah. So a lot yeah. of the kids that were in the Biola apologetics program, they would be trained for radio on the show. We'd bring them in and we'd let them answer questions on the air. You know, and at first, these were these highly academic answers that were, you know, that nobody understood but them. They were great yeah, answers, yeah, but, yeah. and they learned how to talk to real people in a simplified fashion yes. in a way that edified folks right there on the show. So. Biola has a very well-established apologetics program they do. there. Yeah. A dear friend of mine is a graduate from, oh. from that program, Dr. Jim Schultz. Sure. You know Jim? Right. You yeah, know, I've uh, met him. Jim is uh, pastoring now uh, up in St. Louis. With the Presbyterian Church, I oh, believe. Oh, I didn't know and that. Of course, he was here in Memphis with Christ Community Health Services yeah, as the spiritual yeah. director there for a few years. And, yeah, he's uh, just, tremendous. You know, he's great, a great guy. Great guy, yeah. yeah. So many years doing that. Also, I noticed that you have worked in television in the early days. The People's Court, <laughs> Jeopardy, Top of the Pops, Soul Train. I didn't know you had that. I didn't know you were going to ask about that. Yeah, you know, I was still a teenager. I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And uh, I, I was raised pretty much in Dallas, Texas on ranches with my dad got when he got out of the uh, Navy. So we always knew how to do stuff. Me and my brothers, we always had to be able to build, be able to make things. We didn't know that was different. And I go to Los Angeles and I get a call from a friend one day. He says, can you build a judge's bench? And the only way we knew how to respond to things like that was, of course I can. You right? built Judge Wapner. One of many versions of no. it, but they had to <laughs> they had to film that day and they didn't have the judges bench. So, you know, I drove by Ace Hardware on Hollywood Boulevard and got a bunch of boards and uh, a wallpaper and screws. And we went over there and we built it. And then I worked at the uh, television station for the next four years. How about that? On what, all the television in shows. Jeopardy? And Jeopardy was great. Jeopardy, I mostly just moved around cameras and floor tiles. But every once in a while, they had me take all the contestants into the back room and that kind of thing. Was that before Alex Trebek? That was when Alex Trebek was there, who yeah. was actually tremendous. Yes. Such a nice guy. Soul Train. I mean, what did you do on Soul Train? I was Train? on Soul Train for years, you know, so. <laughs> I worked on the. Were you a dancer? The, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have been the worst dancer they ever had. But I had to walk around with the dancers and say, dancers stand over here. And then they'd say, send the dancers over there. And I'd be like, dancers stand over there. And they would shoot like seven or eight episodes in a day. You know, you'd be oh. wiped out by the end of the day. And everybody would have to go change clothes. And all the same kids would come back in and dance again for the next show. In new clothes. But I got to work with a lot of those big artists. It was oh a lot God. of fun. Good experience. I'd sure. say I remember late night as a kid watching Soul Train right before I went to bed sometimes, oh, you know. So, an American bandstand. Yeah, oh my. Yeah. Now, you also, now, I didn't realize your music career had been associated with the Dove Awards. Yeah, twice I've been nominated for double awards by the Gospel Music Association. I mean, in what in what category? Uh, rock, Christian music. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Most of what I wrote was church music, of course, but also I worked with a lot of bands uh, out of uh, Nashville and other places like that where we, uh, you know, rocking for Jesus. It was great. I loved it. So who are some of the groups you worked with? Well, I was in a group called Precious Death, and they were nominated several times for Dove Awards. Another group called uh, Black Ball, and these were out of California, doing Christian music and evangelism and traveling the country and shows for, you know, 90% young people. And it was a great time to learn evangelism and how to talk to the youth. And people ask the question, Chris, can any good thing come out of California? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, when I was growing up in California, it was a different state. We hardly recognize it now, right? You know, Reagan was uh, governor three terms in a row, and 
and it was a red state. And so I understand when people have a lot of misgivings about California. Uh, but it, you know, it's, it's got a lot of wonderful people and we have hope for the future for Yes, them. that's a good word there. I appreciate you bringing that home to us. The journey has been interesting to see how God has orchestrated your life and really how he orchestrates each of our lives, yeah. you know, to bring you to South Haven, to pastor at Graceview. Tell me about that transition. Well, several times, uh, there, you know, I work with the what people think of as the old school Presbyterian churches. You know, they haven't changed in 500 years. Uh, sometimes it's hard for them to communicate to people these days because they use all the old ways, which I love. But sometimes it can be a little inhibitory toward talking to people. So several times they uh, flew me out from California to help plant and revitalize churches out here. And it went really well. So eventually they asked me to work with the church in uh, South Haven, Mississippi, Graceview. And so for the last uh, six or seven years, it's been uh, just uh, growing and uh, thriving. And we're just serving God in every way possible and teaching the Bible. And it's, it's just a great thing. What do you enjoy most about pastoring? You know, like I said, your involvement using your legal background with World Vision. To be a pastor, what's that been like for you? What do you like about being a pastor? Well, pastoring is all the gospel and people. It's just trying to give people the best relationship with Jesus that they can have. And so a pastor is kind of a handholder in that you get the opportunity to bring people closer to the grace of God. And uh, it's basically the whole job. I know most people think pastors only work one hour a week. They got it made, right? <laughs> but 90% of your work is done those other days of the week. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's, that's where the labor of the gospel comes in that the Apostle Paul talks about. There's a wonderful thing about bringing new people into the faith that haven't been in it before. But all of the rest of it is the edification and the nurture and the well-being of people that are already Christians. So that's where you spend most of your time. Bot Radio Network had the privilege this summer of having a booth at the Presbyterian Churches of America conference, which was here oh, in well, Memphis, yeah, in right. downtown Memphis, and met many pastors and ministries associated with PCA. One of the things that you can say about PCA is their stand on the Bible. Right. This denomination isn't actually the PCA. This is the old one that came out of Europe. It's 500 years old. They've been in America for 300 or so years. The PCA formed in, a, I think it was 1972 down here in the South. And so they are also a cousin denomination that's a conservative Presbyterian church. I know there's nothing more con that we have to deal with more than the confusion over Presbyterian because any church can call themselves Presbyterian. It's not a kind of church. It's kind of a church government, right? If the people have to elect their pastors and elect their elders, that's a Presbyterian form of church government. This is the old, old one that hasn't changed a lot from the time of Luther and Calvin and John Knox and all those reformational figures that were so influential on, on American society. As you pastor and as you instill the foundational principles, not yeah. only of scripture, but also of, of this historic uh, PCA. Yeah. Well, we call it, you know, the Bible alone is the nickname for it. If we're going to do something, we want to be able to prove it from the Bible. And if we're not going to do something, we want to show that the Bible said not to do it. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the center of the whole thing is just the love of Scripture, the understanding of Scripture, and the teaching of Scripture. Chris, we're seeing a generation that has grown up in the church. I'm, I'm not sure how well versed they are really hmm. in, in foundationally in, in Scripture and theology, right. sound theology. Yeah. But there is a generation, a younger generation that's saying, I accept the Jesus in the New Testament, mm -hmm. but 
this God in the Old Testament, he's a tyrant. I mean, he's mean, you know. He kills people and he does all these horrible things. And I, I don't know think if I about can... you, Byron. You know all the buttons to push here. You know where, <laughs> you know where all this stuff is. And yeah, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the same God, the eternal Son of God. You have to find a way in your mind to reconcile the loving, nice God of the New Testament with the God of the Old Testament in a way that makes sense. It's got to be the same God. How do you do that? Well, most of the Bible is the Old Testament. You're talking about at least 70% of the Bible that's on your table is Old Testament. When you read through there, you really do find a rich, loving, nurturing, caring God. But you also find the times when he got mad and the times when he had to deal with people that were corrupt or slave drivers or violating human rights or committing unspeakable atrocities. And that God, that loving God, will respond to those things in time and history. Now, this is something that makes people really uncomfortable because they want God to only be nice now when he's still the God that will respond in history to when people are horrible to each other. Yes. I mean, how loving could he be if he just dispensed with his justice. There's a verse, and it's kind of in a a thread throughout Scripture. It's referenced multiple times, and I don't have the exact reference, Hmm. but basically God is saying that his desire is, I want to be your God and you to be my people. Wow. Yeah. Holiness. Yes. Right? Even be holy, even as the Lord your God is holy. There's this idea of being in covenant with God, where he's taking you to be his child, and you're taking him to be your father, and that you two are going to walk together. So the way that you live and the way that you speak and the way that you manifest yourself to the world matters because now you're his representative on earth, as it will. Yeah. Right? And what a time that we need to be representatives of that grace sure. and the gospel message to the world where we're seeing just total chaos. But the cosmos itself, the world, is in a chaotic state, and it has been since the fall. Right, right. Uh, you know, things come and go and things get worse and things get better. And God is sovereign at all times. There's a lot of great teachers that have always reminded us that no matter how bad things look, God's still on the throne, right? To a degree, the Christian has to be able to be patient with the swoops and sways of history, so to speak, knowing that sometimes God lets all kinds of disturbances happen in the world for the gospel to go forth in new and unforeseen ways. In other words, you know, there's wars and there's rumors of wars and that kind of thing. But ultimately, God's going to have his way even in history. You know, the things that are even happening in the the Near East and in uh, Russia and things like that, I don't know what God's doing with it. But, you know, if I should live so long in a few years, we'll see God bring something good out of that. I know the late uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer uh, influenced your life. Uh, there was a series, made, I think it was a film series, I know, maybe, oh, yeah. book, How Shall We Then Live? Sure. You remember that? I loved it, and I read it, I watched it at exactly the right time. I was late teenage to early 20s, and, you know, as I said, I was working in music and working in Hollywood, and Francis Schaeffer had this amazing way to wrap together being a Christian in the arts with it being ministry. You know, your creation and the beautiful things you make are actually a testimony and a witness of God that you can yep. use for evangelism and stuff. So, uh, yeah, and he wrote these great songs like uh, He is There and He is Not Silent, talking about that it's not just that a God exists. It's that he's spoken in his word. You can actually receive the things that he said. 
And those things were transformative to my life. So as far as my going through a period where I was letting go of my parents, shepherding my faith and taking on my own faith and having that be strong and nurtured by scripture, that was mostly two guys, Francis Schaeffer and uh, R.C. Sproul. Well, going back to talking about today's generation and, and seeing the, the what they say is the conflict between the, both Old and New Testament, yeah. it, it is that place where many have to wrestle with some things to find their own faith and not sure. just, you know, not just, not just, you know, take what their parents, you know, have handed down. They've got to make yeah. it for themselves. Well, and, yeah, and how do you, yeah. how does that make you feel as a dad when you, you look at that in your own life, your, your children's lives? Well, I just try to avoid any difficult subject matter with my children. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know they're going to go into a rougher world than I did, right? Yeah. The things that are going on now are not the things we were grappling with when I was a kid. Uh, so it's going to be actually harder for them. And so their relationship with God through Jesus Christ has got to be strong and firm, even when you know that the world's going to come at them in a rush. Mm. And that's what happens to a lot of our kids when we put them into college and stuff like that. Like our kids are going to the uh, college at Mid-America. That's very close to Bellevue over there. And they're having a wonderful experience. But I understand that it's a little bit protected. Right. It's not like going to a school where most of the students are not going to be Christians and most of the professors won't be Christians. But sooner or later, there will be that time when they'll have to endure that kind of thing. So we want to prepare them for those things now. We don't want to wait until it's an emergency and then have to, you know, uh, patch on sutures. And, you know, (laughs) we want to prepare them and make them strong in mind and heart for these things that are ahead. To God's greater glory, the radio program you host Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. Tell me, uh, what's the show all about? Well, it's about Christian apologetics. One of the things that we really noticed when we came to this area uh, six or seven years ago was that we kept being contacted for uh, to go and speak at different churches on issues that were really what we would consider apologetics. Because there used to be things that were mainly problems in New York and California that are now problems in Memphis. Memphis is a metropolis now. It has a million people here. And they're from all over the country. And they bring their problems with them. So things like, how do you know the Bible is the word of God? What are the answers to this? And of course, you know, there's great answers that have been come up with by great people, especially through the last 50 and 60 years that are very useful, especially for the younger Christian or the struggling Christian soul. Uh, How do I know which God? There's so many religions. How do you know which one is the right one? How do you know that Jesus was really God? Even in the Bible, it's kind of confusing. He's God here, but he seems like he's a man over there, right? So we go through those things one by one. There's basically about 10 or 15 subjects that people usually grapple with. And we just respond to them and give people tools for their own personal analysis, but also to speak to their friends and neighbors. Now, the format of the program, is it primarily you hosting the show? Do you have guests on the show? Uh, the hate, the host is Carl Casperson, who's a local Christian. He goes to uh, St. Patrick uh, over in uh, Collierville. And we interview different people, different pastors from around the area. These are just great guys. And we ask them this question as fundamental. What is your greatest concern or your greatest couple concerns for the Memphis area theologically as far as being a churchman and a gospel preacher at this time in this place? And then we just talk with them about that and what they think can and should be done about it. And so far, we haven't gotten the same answer from two folks because 
it's different at different places and different churches and different communities. We also just go around to churches and we visit with those churches and we have classes there where they can learn these different methods and different things to help them through this. Of course, Graceview Presbyterian in South Haven, located at 7660 Sweeney Road. Tell me about the fellowship. What's it like on Sunday mornings when you have service times? It's lovely, and we're just having a great time over there. We've got Bible study. Sunday school starts for all ages at 10, and the service starts at 11. 50% of the congregation is uh, under 18, so it's uh, real busy. If you want a very serious, like, quiet church where nobody's ever allowed, this isn't the one, (laughs) because even if we wanted that, we could not accomplish that. This isn't a stoic Presbyterian church. (laughs) It's not that kind of Presbyterian church, you know. It's very family and uh, very uh, friendly, and we love it. Having so many youth, is there special programming or emphasis to do youth ministry? It's a youth ministry-oriented church just by its nature. It's not something we planned. It's just the way it turned out. That's who's approaching us. Those are the people in South Haven that really seem to have a need. So on Wednesday nights, of course, at uh, 6 o'clock, we have the usual youth groups that have Bible studies and a lot of games and fun and sports for the kids. And and we have ongoing events just about every month, like uh you know, we have uh, hay rides through the park and we have Christmas parties and there's hot and cold running hot chocolate because yeah. this is just the season for that. Uh, you know, what a church is really for is the preaching and teaching of the gospel. But there's a lot of other stuff that just the community needs for yeah. its well-being. And so you have to do that stuff, too. OK, if folks want more information, there's a website, I believe, too. It would be uh, graceviewsouthhaven.com. OK, Chris, this has been great. Again, the program to God's greater glory each Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. here on the Bot Radio Network, AM 640. Friends, I hope you will tune in. Also on 93.7 FM and 100.7 FM to hear again to God's greater glory. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time and also the new program, hosting that, bringing it to our listeners. It's a great addition to our lineup. Well, thank you so much. And we appreciate Bob Radio, but we also appreciate you personally, Byron. You do a great job and we just love you. God bless you, man. I appreciate you so much. Nice to be in the same room with a pastor who has a passion for Christ, getting the gospel out, encouraging his people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint here on the Bot Radio Network. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. If you would like to listen to today's show again, go to BotRadioNetwork.com and look for Mid-South Viewpoint under the broadcast tab. The show is also available on your favorite podcast platforms. Some shows have video of the interviews as well and can be viewed at Byron Tyler Radio on YouTube or on our Bot Radio Network mobile app.